Well, hello. This is Gary. You're listening to Thinking Out Loud. Today, as usual, politics on the mind and Spotify's uh, Anchor Apps podcast. Great way to uh, get thoughts out, process the times that we're in. So I just finished a nice little trail run. It's about a half hour, so it was, in the old days that would have been close to five miles, but now it's probably less than four. But something about just hitting the trails and letting the thoughts of Corona and well, not entirely drift away of Corona because yeah, if there's other people on the trails, you got to kind of give them a wide berth and all that. But definitely like the thoughts of Trump and all that sort of drift away and get back to reality a little later. But definitely getting into the uh, into the heart of it. Um, kind of the home stretch of this tail end of this uh, crazy, hopefully first and only uh, Donald Trump presidency. Um, hopefully it stops here and um, we'll know whether or not that'll be the case um, most likely in mid-November. It may take a few days to fully finalize the results of the election uh, because there's a pandemic going on and a lot of people are going to have to obviously mail in votes. I'm not going to be able to, you know, because especially certain higher risk people and people there's some people that might even very well be under quarantine and uh, not be able to leave their house there is also a surge of cases expected to be in the fall so you know for health and safety reasons a huge portion of the American population this fall is obviously going to be mailing in their ballot not even you know driving in and dropping it off at a ballot box type thing like if you're quarantined then you're you're quarantined and if there's going to be a spike in cases in the fall then that, that means there's more people that can be quarantining and so they're gonna have to get their ballot mailed to them they're going to need that they're not going to be able able to go to a polling location polling locations um, even in the best of times are um, you know, many times just lacking 21st century technology you know, and especially in poor areas and uh, areas with higher minority populations, their voting uh, polls are hard to get to and long lines to get into them. Uh, wealthy people don't really have to worry about that as much. And no issues whatsoever with Donald Trump himself mailing in a ballot, of course. No, no problem there. But um, he has a big issue with uh, large portions of minorities and poorer people voting by mail or uh, at risk people. Plenty of Republicans vote by mail as well though so it is kind of strange that that is his strategy. But it's um, it's really just a sort of amped up version of what the Republicans have been doing for years, gerrymandering districts and sort of um, picking who their voters are and doing everything they can to suppress the vote. Uh, the fewer people who vote uh, the better the Republicans' odds are. The reason is pretty obvious. 
Republican Party is the organization that protects the interests of the wealthy. Uh, the legislative measures that they do benefit about 2% of the population because uh, there is no such thing as trickle-down economics. Uh, when the wealthy get a tax cut and big corporations get a tax cut, it benefits those two entities. It does not benefit working-class people. Uh, you might have some outliers here and, layer, here and there among the middle class who might benefit in some small way if they have a direct business connection to those specific entities, especially at a higher level. But um, for most people, the others, there's really no benefit at all to the wealthy getting more money. Now, once the wealthy get their tax cut and the corporations as well, that means the federal government is bringing in less money in tax revenue. So therefore, uh, they'll need to cut programs that benefit everyone that's not wealthy. Uh, so that's going to be, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, public education, Social Security, and infrastructure investment. Infrastructures, things like the electric grid, the power grid, you know, energy, efficient energy sources, planes, bridges, roads, you know, all kind of safely maintained and all that sort of thing. Um, a lot of times it's just uh, most effective to have, you know, a government entity sort of kind of kind of direct or kind of, you know, establish the funding of those kinds of projects if it's all just purely profit-driven. Um, to have your roads, bridges, roads driven on, it just it becomes not very practical. It's kind of the whole reason governments were created in the first place is to make sure the sort of basic infrastructure of the cities and such and the various communities throughout this country are safe and well-maintained, you know. Yes, the government may f hire companies to do the actual work, but, the, you know, there'll be various government agencies kind of overseeing it, making sure everything's done to certain standards and such, um, safe and all that. The people that are doing the work are working in safe conditions and getting paid a reasonable rate to do the work that they're doing and all that sort of thing. That's, that's all government. When you don't have government, um, you just get people with the most money being able to do whatever the hell they want. And um, you, the working class, even though you're in the majority, you just have less and less power. <coughs> so, I mean, the Republican Party, that is kind of what what they do. You know, that, that is their objective, is to protect the interests of the wealthy. And so... Is that is what it is? Yeah, that that is that is what they are, and so there's there's this much needed change needed in this country. Um, you know, there's still tens of millions of people, working class people, that are still staunchly in the Republican camp even as that organization picked, you know, several years ago, Mr. Trump as its nominee, not realizing that uh, it was just their turn to win. You know, it was the Republicans' turn to win in 2016. It didn't really matter who they picked, whether it was Jeb Bush, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, um, or that other, the, the woman that was running. I uh, can't remember. Anyway, 
whoever they picked, that's who would have become president. And probably if they'd picked anyone else besides Trump, any of the other uh, candidates, uh, they may have even won the popular vote. Um, Hillary Clinton was not a very popular among, you know, quote unquote, you know, leftists or liberals or progressives. Um, you know, it, it, it's she's a corporate Democrat. I think so. I think that's something important to understand about the the the, the so-called bipartisan. Bipartisan gets talked about a lot in the news, as if it's like this wonderful magical thing. It's like, oh, both parties agree here. Oh, great. Um, if 100% of the Democratic Party and 0% of the Re Republican Party uh, go along with a particular bit of legislation, okay. That means the organization representing roughly 98% of the population passed a bill, and the organization that uh, you know represents about 2% of the population, you know, they didn't approve. Okay. You know, why is it so important to have bipartisan? Why do we have to have both something that greatly benefits the top 2% and greatly benefits everyone else? If you just focus on benefiting the masses, the foundation, you know, the lifeblood of the entire country, the people doing all the work, the working class, if you focus primarily on them, Yes, the, the wealthy will also do just fine as well. Yeah, because they still own the economy, you know. So if you invest in the working class, they improve their station. They have more discretionary income. Um, they have more leisure time and stuff. I mean, so lots of, you know, overall quality of life improvement. Um, and that's certainly, now it may create some more competitiveness among who gets to be on the top of the pyramid type thing, but that's kind of the point, you know. You you invest in a good solid foundation in this country, you know, safe roads and bridges to drive on, which means lots of people doing those kinds of jobs. Now, the, they don't necessarily have to be a government employee to be building roads and bridges, like, you know, the New Deal under Franklin Roosevelt, where you basically have a federally funded sort of uh, civil work program type thing where people, you know, it's a government job where they just work and build bridges and stuff. That's, that's one way. But the other ways, of course, that you just have, you know, a sort of governing body that sort of, you know, gives funds based off bids to do work. It would be reviewed and sort of, you know, inspected throughout. But it would be a company paying its employees a certain rate to do the work and all that that would, you know, build the bridge, build the building with government oversight. Companies that don't want that particular project, they wouldn't get it or whatever, you know. Um, it's still capitalism. It's a mix, which is what our country has always been. It's always been a hybrid. It's not one or the other. It's not socialist or capitalist. It's a kind of a hybrid, you know. Um, and our country is a mix of republic, the old kind of republic from the old days with the Senate, where it's, you basically have a small group of the population that actually has true power and voting rights and an actual, you know, representative power, and then other groups that have sort of less power. We're not a true full democracy. We still have this strange thing called the Electoral College and the Senate is kind of a, a very weird sort of cumbersome 
um, governmental instrument. It's kind of odd. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. And no, it, it's just goofy, you know, because it, it sort of denies the history of how some of the states were created and why, why they look the way they do and stuff and denying that, you know, some of the state's borders are just kind of in the middle of nowhere. So just to sort of arbitrarily decide that each of these little areas that are just areas, you know, with wide varying numbers of actual people living there, each of those areas gets two people to represent that area of land. And that's basically what they're representing. They're basically, you know, they're supposed to be representing people, but really it's just an arbitrarily, you know, bordered area of land that was decided a long time ago and two senators from each state, no matter what the size of the population is. So that's another sort of weird, like more bureaucratic kind of goofy thing, but there's no way for that to ever kind of get out. So that, it's it's just kind of clanky. It, it's, but it's also because the House of Representatives is not sort of done correctly either. Uh, you know, there really should be like, <clears throat> like a, a metropolis, which should be one district. The entire metropolis is one district. If there's 20 million people there, and there should just be, you know, a, a standard ratio. X number of people equals one rep. And that's just nationwide. That's just what it is. <clears throat> so for some states, they might only have one representative because their entire population is, you know, only barely a minute a million but basically say one rep per one million people so there would be about 300 reps 320 reps or so one rep for every person not not just every you know adult over the age of 18 or whatever registered no just every human that lives you know in a particular area there there'd be Every one million of those human beings, Americans, living in a particular area would equal one representative. So, in, you know, big metropolis areas, the people living in that area would have to vote for more than one rep because they're living in a densely populated area. So they're going to have more people representing that entire metropolis. Um, that's really what it should be, but there's... Realities. There's some districts that have, you know, 800,000 people, and there's others that have like 40,000, and they each get one rep. That just doesn't doesn't really make any sense. So if you did the House of Representatives in a more <clears throat> scientific way, mathematical, logical way, then you wouldn't really need the Senate. It wouldn't, because then you would just have a truly representative legislative branch. You still have the three equal branches, and then the legislative branch actually is more truly equal to the other two. It, the reality is it's the legislative branch is supposedly equal to the other two branches, but it's it's a branch that's divided in two to minimize its power, to minimize the representative power. And um, there's a lot of power that the House of Representatives has to pick its own voters, which they do, gerrymandered districts, where sort of districts are sort of carved right through the middle of major cities and such so that people of certain groups are sort of 
minimized um, their, you know, their choice and whatnot. So it's very tough that in year 2020, it's still the same old thing. It's still either get the Republican or the Democrats, and that's it. Those are your options. Now, yes, there are many, many other people running for president in 2020, and probably any of them are better than at least Trump, you know, and some of them might even be better than Joe Biden. Joe Biden picked uh, Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris to be his VP, which is good. Um, not very super progressive, but uh, certainly far more capable than, well, all three of the men that are going to be in the presidential race, you know. I mean, she's far more capable than Joe Biden. I mean, if you're if you're going to go with the sort of moderate Democrat, quote unquote, establishment Democrat, uh, it would have been nice if they had gone with her instead of Joe Biden. But um, you know, whatever. She's just far more capable, uh, intelligent, and um, tenacious and unrelenting, especially compared to the other three. She's just more of a professional and um, adult in the room, so it's just reassuring to know that there will be, because Joe Biden can be kind of goofy sometimes, but he's just getting kind of old, too. Obviously, he's far superior to Donald Trump, because Donald Trump's a, well, he's a famous racist, sexist con man that was, uh, throughout the entirety of my childhood and early adulthood, he was famous for uh, cheating on his wives, bankrupting companies, and being racist and sexist. And then, um, when I was at kind of uh, my junior year of college, he became famous for being a game show host. And uh, now he's president. The weird, the weird world. But bit really, with bipartisan, a lot of times what you get is just, uh, you get a mix of the, the, the two parties got the elephant party and the donkey party. And really a lot of times bipartisan is just a big pile of donkey and elephant shit mixed together. It's just a big heaping pile of shit. It's, you know, it's no good. Uh, because it's trying to appease those that don't really need to be appeased, you know. While also appeasing, you know, everyone else. While trying to benefit the masses, you know can't have universal health care because we got to worry about the uh, you know salaries of the CEOs of insurance companies what well, I mean what are they gonna do if there's a health insurance company that's making billions in profits what are they gonna do if health care is suddenly a right you know so the Republican Party they're the organization that really worries about that what are you gonna do if health insurance is no longer a viable necessary product that people need to buy what are those companies going to do to make themselves continuing continue to be viable in the economic sense continue to be able to earn a profit as an organization i don't really think that's something the federal government should really be all that concerned with um you know businesses go bankrupt all the time you know uh, if there used to be a ton of companies that you know you know, made trains and stuff and manufactured trains. The, the Hudson Bay Company used to be the biggest seller of like uh, furs and stuff, you know, and all that kind of thing. But, you know, times change. It, it does, 
different things now, you know, trades clothes and stuff, but it's not buying uh, beaver skins off of mountain men as its main thing anymore, the Hudson Bay Company. So, you know, companies evolve, economies evolve, as societies evolve. So, health, health insurance companies, if um, our country, our society decides that health care is a right, health insurance companies are going to have to find a way to differentiate, to find some way to make people still give them money. They're going to have to offer some sort of real, actual service. You know, If they're not willing to do that, yeah, they, they might stop getting people that are going to spend money on their service or product. You know, Because the ideal situation with like something like universal health care is <coughs> say you get sick you break your leg or something or you break your wrist what you do is you would, you would go to the doctor and you, you know fill out some forms or whatever and just kind of naming so they have a medical record the reason for medical records is so they kind of know your medical history so they know how to treat you properly and stuff each time that uh, medical staff sees you they have, uh, you know, there's a code of ethics and all that sort of thing with hospital records and stuff. There's people that train to process medical records and all that sort of thing. But the main thing is when you get sick, you would go to the hospital. And the people, the medical staff at the hospital would uh, treat you, uh, hopefully heal you, and help you recover from your injuries or whatever it was, the surgery that you needed. Uh, and then... You'd be you know, released from the hospital, and you might have, if there's medication involved, then they would give you the prescription for that, and then you'd go and pick those up later. So, you know, that, that's what universal health care would be. And some people might be saying, well, that, that is what we have. Well, no, the key part in that is there is no money being exchanged hands at any point. That, so, so that's what universal healthcare would be what specific program we would use to you know the one that seems the most logical something like medicare or medicaid where there's just it's just a, a small tiny tax that's taken out of every person's paycheck and it basically just goes to fund a medical services type program where when people get sick and the costs associated with that they're paid out and then go, go, go. but the people getting sick they don't pay any of that when they're sick, when when they go to get treatment, yeah, there's just there's just no money being exchanged hands. So, um, yeah, that that's basically it. So, so that's something that um, that was the actual goal of you know like Barack Obama back in the day, going for universal health care, Obamacare. The goal was that. That was the goal, where health care is. A right, meaning when you get sick, you go to the hospital, you get treated, you get better, and then you go on with your life. No money is exchanged. You don't need to pull out your wallet, hand over your credit card. It doesn't matter how much money you have. That was the goal, but bipartisan. Yeah. So that's what the let you know the so-called left was shooting for, but the right was shooting for. You know, n nothing. Keeping it exactly the same. Yeah. Because 
Republican Party is the organization that protects the interests of the wealthy and the corporations. So they had to worry about the shareholders and the executives of those health insurance companies. That was what they were worried about. And those people were whispering in those, you know, those representatives with R's next to their name and their senators with R's next to their name. And they're those, uh, you know, corporate executives who were whispering in their ear, those pharmaceutical executives and saying, hey, you better, you know, better vote no on this thing. You know, we kind of rely on people having to pay out of pocket to get medical treatment. You know, that's how we earn a profit. We don't earn a profit if <laughs> medical care is a right, you know. So that's why the Republicans were against it. And so the there was the big push, though, to have bipartisanship. So in the end, you get this sort of watered-down fluff, but it's kind of a, a foot in the door. And to the Republicans' sort of dismay, yeah, there was a high demand for it, even though it was not that great because it was bipartisanship. If the Democrats had just said, fuck the Republicans, we're going we're gonna to pass universal health care. The Republicans do not want to guarantee health care as a right. Well, that's, you know, that that's their hill to stand on, whatever the fuck the expression. And that's their, uh, what's the expression? I don't, that's their last hill to, promptly stomp their feet on and accomplish nothing. No, that's not it. Anyway, um, I mean, the reality was that, though. That was the, that was the Gisette. Republicans are like, no, to universal health care. Democrat, the left, m most Democrats, but that's the other thing. Get in that more. Most of the, especially the progressive wing was health care should be a right. But because it had to be bipartisan, you get this sort of muddled down thing. And then because it's so muddled down, because of the Republicans fighting it tooth and nail to even get that much, um, you get Donald Trump a few years later running on a campaign of trying to repeal it altogether with no real plans on to replace it with anything. It didn't really care or want to replace it with anything it's not a concern of his he doesn't need help you know public health care you know what does he care he's he's a multi-millionaire you know what wealthy don't need public services they don't specifically rely on them now the people that work for them obviously do maybe not the people that work for them directly but the people that work for 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 them do rely on those services, you know, the sort of working class, the people doing all the work. Yeah, a lot of them, they do indeed use, you know, federally funded things, programs, services, and many of them often, if not daily. So, the wealthy, though, don't need any of that. that. That's why there was a push during the George W. Uh, presidency to get rid of Social Security and just, or something, but, but, but like people could invest. I don't know what they were trying to do, but it was basically the, the wealthy don't need Social Security, obviously. You know, if you're wealthy and you have a trust fund that's invested in an annuity that pays in 
annuity payments to you every month of say you know over four hundred thousand every month you know obviously you don't need social security you're you're already financially secured in perpetuity never working another day in your life you're good to go you know um there that's the kind of wealth that the top two percent in this country have wealth that just can be you know slowly paid out while still accruing interest forever and it just never runs out you know you you make the annuity payments small enough uh, to where even if you're not earning money doing an actual job it doesn't really matter all the invest various investments that you have invested in are all earning just enough interest to offset the distributions from your particular cash accounts so uh, but that's the group that the Republican Party is primarily focused on but, but it, I think it's because you know that organization is what they are you know it is unfortunate that there's so many in the working class that go along with it because there just isn't another option. The Democratic Party is the kind of counterpoint, kinda, but there's plenty of Democrats that are basically Republicans. You know, they basically protect the interest of the wealthy and maybe they focus a little on more on the top 10% as opposed to just the top 2%, but they're basically just a, a Republican with a D next to their name instead of an R. Um, and those have happened throughout. Because there was a time when Democratic and Republican parties were basically ideog ideologically uh, opposite of what they are now. And they kind of have changed over time of what their ideals are and where, what regions of the country they predominantly represent and what specific groups. It, it sort of changed and evolved over the years, or devolved, if you will, in some cases. The Republican Party, though, over the last many years has gotten more and more exclusive and because the specific group they're representing is so small, they've had to do a kind of a, I don't know what they call it, well I guess extreme is the best way, but kind of building off that kind of Tea Party movement, kind of playing and manipulating uh, those low information voters, you know, people that just aren't that engaged, but can get very emotional about things. Uh, they're the and working class folk, you know, because working class people do not benefit when wealthy people get more money. But the Republican Party can convince these people to vote for Republican by talking about the certain things and really playing to these people's emotions. But these people are low information voters. That doesn't mean stupid. That just means low information on matters specifically related to what the Republican Party actually does. You know, the Republican Party is the organization that represents the interests of the wealthy at the federal government level. I mean, that's, that is what they do. So once they achieve their objectives, they don't really do a whole lot of anything. If anything, they're gonna try to block and impede any action that is gonna get in the way of their core objective, which is cutting taxes for the wealthy and cutting taxes for corporations. So that's gonna include trying to impede and block an impeachment investigation of a president who signed into law 
a tax cut for the wealthy. You know, they had to protect that guy because he, he delivered for them, you know. Donald Trump signed into law very early in his presidency after getting a huge portion of working class people to go along with his bullshit. Um, you know, he was talking about building the wall and, you know, locking up Hillary Clinton and, um, you know, he's just kind of talking about all kinds of stuff. You know, he was all over the place. But there's a certain, you know, segment of the population kind of spread out and across the America in just the right way that, um, you know, they were able to be led astray and led down a pretty bizarre and surreal and kind of crazy path of uh, believing that Donald Trump was a successful businessman and a well-respected figure and a guy that was actually going to do well at being a leader and uh, a president of our country. Uh, how, how, you know, what, what it takes to get to that kind of state where you, where someone sees Mr. Trump and sees like at least several hours of his kind of speeches and such and over the years and who he is and maybe he's read a few documents about things that he's been involved in and and still is enthusiastically 100% behind him it, it's just kind of you know it's baffling it's uh and disheartening too. I mean, it's just you know, it's sad. You know, I just feel sorry for all those people that are supporting him. You know, I just, I just kind of feel pity for him. You know, Trump took advantage of them. You know, there's people in this country that just aren't as engaged to, you know, learning about the country, knowing the history of the country, and uh, I don't know. Uh, getting their information from a wide variety of sources. There's just a, a sizable portion of the population that isn't into that. There's a sizable portion of the population that just kind of thinks of things in a certain way and doesn't like much variance in that. Um, there's plenty of people in this country that kind of vote on, you know, sort of small-minded views. It just is what it is. It's we, we've had small-mindedness and bigotry and sexism and racism in this country for a long time. And when you get to those kind of states, you can you can you can be taken advantage of. Um, other groups can sort of play with your emotions on those particular views to get you to do something that actually is a vote against your own interests. You know, because whatever the reason those 60 million, you know, folks voted Trump, whatever reason those working class people said, you know, none of those reasons were really what you're going to actually get. I, and although some of the things Trump promised was probably chaos and destruction, kind of, you know, draining the swamp. Draining the swamp doesn't mean, you know, getting out corrupt politicians and stuff. That it, I think it, it's sort of uh, it's the opposite of that. It's it's more people that are loyal to the interests of the United States government and have been a public servants to our country for decades, and receiving a modest salary for their efforts and working diligently um, 
for a career to protect the interests of the United States of America. Those were the swamp to Donald Trump. So he drained those people away. He fired those kinds of people, you know, people with honor and integrity and loyal to the United States of America above all else, you know, devoted their lives to protecting the interests of the United States of America. If they were to run for president under the word, over the, by the word experience, it would actually have something to say besides none. It would actually have an extensive list of federal, you know, governmental programs and agencies that they've been a part of throughout their career. Um, but those are the kind of people that Donald Trump wanted to get rid of and replace them with uh, wealthy people that had given him money. And so that's how he drained the swamp. So it sort of, when you hear the phrase drain the swamp, it sort of implies that, okay, we're all these sort of corrupt politicians that get money from wealthy people and then vote based off of, you know, how those lobbyists gave them money. You know, that's what you would think it would mean. It's, it sort of implies that, but no, it actually means the exact opposite. No, no, no. Yeah, if you want a job in the federal government, you need to give Donald Trump money for his campaign. Yeah, that, that's how you get a job. It's called bribery. Yeah, and so that is actually how many posts in Donald Trump's uh, government, ambassadors and such, were getting their jobs, including the Postmaster General. Uh, a lot of them was just like that, for being involved in the campaign and somehow giving a sizable donation. That's how they were able to get their jobs. Now, what if they had no experience relevant to the post they were being assigned? It was irrelevant. Yeah. So that's draining the swamp. Yeah, and that's what tens of millions of working class people in groups of thousands in various stadiums across the country back in 2016 were shouting out. You know, they were demanding that that happen, that uh, we fire all the people in government who have been loyal uh, servants to the public for the last several decades, and we replace them with wealthy uh, bureaucrats who will use the federal government as their own personal piggy bank, and that's it. And that's what Drain the Swamp is. So that's what the people who voted for Trump got. They got exactly what they wanted. A draining of the swamp. Yeah, all those swamp creatures. All those people who had devoted their life to protecting your interests. Yeah. Making sure that you were safe. Making sure that the food you're eating was safe. Making sure that the air you're breathing was clearing. Yeah, the water you were drinking was safe. All those kind of things got cut. We gotta we gotta kinda cut those programs down now and stuff. And, yeah. So, it's just sort of the opposite of a government that's representing the people, you know, and, and uh, working for the people, of the people, by the people, for the people. It's it's Trump is really the just the exact opposite of that. Really, any every sense of the way. With Trump, you still have the ongoing things. He's blocking funding the U.S. Postal Service. This is because there's going to be a massive number of mail-in votes this fall. So if he cuts funding to the post office, many ballots won't get delivered, and maybe this becomes an excuse to not count, to not count millions of ballots. Um, 
Now, hopefully he just gets his ass handed to him 2016 to where even if 10 million votes are dismissed, uh, it doesn't even matter. Like, he'll lose by, you know, so much. But looks like it's going to be close, you know. In the year 2020, the month of August, uh, there are still tens, that's plural, tens of millions of living, breathing American adults, citizens who are planning to vote this fall, who are very much uh, enthusiastically excited to vote for Donald Trump. I mean, it, it, it is what it is. It's real. There are that many people that just kind of, they, they took the pill or whatever, you know, they they went down the rabbit hole and they don't even want to try to get out. Any kind of reaching out to them, they kind of slap the hand away. You know, they just, they're arduent. You know, they, they're committed. You know, they're four or five years into this for some, maybe more. But most of them, it's only been a four or five year kind of uh, foray into this sort of devotion to Trump. My animosity and sort of anger towards that man and confusion as to why he was a relevant figure and all that sort of thing goes back at least 30 years. Been really annoyed with our country for propping up that guy for so long. Um, why his idiotic racist views about Barack Obama were considered news. It was very confusing to me at the time. It's like there's an old, rich, racist white guy that's been around for decades saying old, racist, rich, white guy things. Okay. I, I don't understand why it has to be on CNN, MSNBC, NBC, Fox, ABC, every single news outlet. Like, I don't, I don't get it. You know, it didn't make sense. If he, if he wants to, you know, like Oprah, have his own magazine with his own channel and on that channel or his own radio station or whatever spout his idiotic views okay whatever but i don't understand why mainstream media for a while there had to cover donald fucking trump's idiotic racist views as if it was news it, it didn't it didn't make any sense like why was that happening one, one of the reasons is the media is not liberal. There's, and that's, you know, the other thing entirely is that the people are watching all their news on Fox. I mean, that's, that's just a pure propaganda station with like slight little flutters here and there, of news anchors with some levels of integrity, that just are conservative, in p political views, in the more old classical sense of it. Like, uh, oh, what's his name? I used to watch his. Dad show all the time the the twentieth century. Mike Wallace. That was a good show. I like that. Learn you learn a lot about the United States history. It's um, Mike Wallace would uh, sound like A and E or something. But just talk about all kinds of things that happened in the United States just in the twentieth century. It was a pretty crazy century. There's a lot of shit that happened. You know. And, uh, Recurring themes and uh, recurring kind of characters. 
you know. Donald Trump is not the first of his kind. He's just the first of his kind to actually become a president. Um, but, you know, the sort of all show, no substance, kind of all marketing, no actual product, no real actual service, just pure uh, hype. Um, those kind of characters have been around in our country for since the beginning, you know. He was nothing new there, but, you know, how it had to be that he was covered on the news so much was just very odd. So, you know, for me, my anger toward that him actually becoming president, it's, it's been one of those kind of building for decades thing. I'm just, I'm not, I think a lot of the people that are real enthusiastic supporters of him probably... It, my guess is that they just had only a, a, a very faint awareness of him prior to, say, 2010. Whereas I was very much aware of who he was when I was easily 10, 9, 10, 11 years old. You know, I was familiar with the guy and uh, had a sort of curiosity as to, as to the why. And it was probably the beginnings of the beginnings of sort of questioning the state of things. Even though I was just a kid, I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but there was something about the fact that he was on the news and we talk about him as if it was important to know about him. And it's almost like there was this kind of saying like, yes, there are these kinds of people in the country. You know, he, he's not a good human being, but he kind of gets to do what he wants. You know, he, here he is coming out of another court case again another civil suit, and there's that big arrogant smile on his face, you know, he had screwed over some people again, you know, and I kind of almost remember the sort of tone of some of the anchors that was almost like a resigned kind of, ah, here's Donald Trump's at it again, you know, bankrupted another company, it was, ever he was in the news, it was always for something like that, but there didn't seem to be any actual product, true product or service underneath it that was of any substance. It was always just pure hype, while also being news. So it was kind of, it was a very just curious, weird figure. You know, I don't, I don't know how, it says a lot about a country when a guy like him can become its leader. It's like, what is this country, you know? What are our principles? What, what do we really care about? You know, I mean, that guy doesn't care about anything. He just cares about being on TV and having lots of money, being able to go golfing, whatever he wants. I mean, and and famously so. And to be honest, whatever. Like, I, no, I never have liked Donald Trump. No, I've never had much respect for the man. But, you know, you live your life how you want to live it. So if he wanted to squander his fortune just trying to create these sort of fake almost fake businesses that were really just sort of fronts for kind of laundering money, you know. It seems like kind of a waste, but, you know, as long as he's not like the president or anything, you know. But it's a little, just a little bit more disheartening was the actual president. And there's so much that, he, that it's like, what, what does come after this? You know, 
what's the next, like, Trump on steroids type thing? I mean, um, like, like what he did in Portland, what he authorized in Portland, Oregon, a few weeks ago there, that was going on for a while, that, that's scary. I mean, that's fucked up. That's, you know, we, we can't have that in this country. It, but it happened. And it's happened in our past, too. You know, and so there's been like this sort of angry, resentful, racist kind of underbelly of our society that's been hanging around for decades. You know, a lot of people thought we were like free and clear or something and back in the... Back by the time the 70s started or something, or all because of Woodstock, everything is all good and gravy or something. I think a lot of people think that or something. And it's like, no. A lot of work still to do. Grounds have been made, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Trump is a famous racist, sexist, um, arrogant, narcissistic wealthy white man who is also very famous for being a con man and creating companies that had no intention of earning a profit because they didn't need to he didn't need the company to earn a profit but that is what he's famous for and that's it's just what does it say about a society when there's that many people who either <coughs> Who support that? Who support a person like that? Who give praise to a person like that? Who say, yes, that's what I want to be like. A person who lies, cheats, steals, um, you know, abuses his authority, is cruel, you know. And then only surrounds himself with, uh, you know, enablers that are going to go along with his. Worst racist intentions. Um, I don't know. I think one of the, my goals had kind of been this podcast is to try to get thoughts on there. Maybe other people can relate. Maybe it will spur some ideas and different ways to, uh, I don't know, get messaging out there to steer some of our, or a good portion of our fellow Americans that have been led astray and steer them back to some sort of something resembling a righteous path. Because the problem is, though, many of them truly believe that what they are doing is, is like, like, they, they believe that he, that Trump is some kind of, you know, savior or something. And it's like, I don't, I don't know how it, I don't really understand how people read the Bible and go to church every Sunday and then see Donald Trump and think he's a savior. I, I don't, it's just kind of it's baffling. But I remember that when I was going to church as a kid, there was a lot of people that just kind of... It, they just like being part of the community. I don't know how well they actually bought in to the message and some of the basic tenets of the teachings, but, you know, it's just a good community a lot of times. Just a, you know, there's potlucks and dinners and there's little you know, fun events that are happen and stuff. I was in youth group throughout uh, Methodist Church, you know, every Wednesday and a lot of times even in high school, Friday night, me and my friends would be hanging out at church playing video games. 
just, you know, it's just a cool place to be. It's safe and all that. So I think there's a lot of people that go to church, and that, that, it's more of that. It's the community. It's to see the people that you know, that you see every week. Maybe you don't get to see them the rest of the weeks, so but just that one day and, you know, get together, fellowship, all that. Uh, and I think there's a lot of people that probably just kind of, you know, they just kind of go along with it. They maybe not fully buy into everything they're hearing, but they just, they like the, the people, you know, the good people, you know. But I think the problem is not buying into some of the core messages is that you can get led astray easily. Or there's even people that are preaching to you at the church that are saying, yeah, you need to support Trump. And it's like, wait a minute, what, what are you doing? No, he's the opposite, you know. You know, path of Jesus is um, forgiveness. The golden bull, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's, you know, kind of the cliff notes, very short versions of the teaching of Jesus. Trump is the opposite. You know, he's very much an embracing of the seven deadly sins. So he, he's not, not a savior. I think the way to look at it would be more like what happens after him, you know, he, but actually I was kind of thinking this, with Trump is what happens to a person that has, is born into everything and is given everything and had, but, all, but also has just pure emptiness and pursues all the sort of, you know, seven deadly sin type things throughout his life. You know, he just becomes this wretched shell of a person. You know, just this kind of where everyone around him, he brings everyone around him down, and he um, kind of, it's just a, a trail of destruction, you know. So, I don't know. It, it's like you, you get this. It's like seeing what would happen if, you know, we get to see with our own eyes. This is a person that just has never been held accountable and never really made any real effort at all to have any sort of righteous path. So, and, you know, I'm not that perfect either. And I think that's maybe the other reason why I've always been... So, is fascinating the wrong word because I wonder sometimes like I was not I was not born wealthy at all um, first a few years of my early childhood where I lived in a trailer park you know and then base housing for a while and stuff so it was kind of the opposite end of the socioeconomic spectrum as Trump so throughout my life when I was following the Donald Trump story I always wondered well what would I have been like if I had been born into that level of wealth but then not just that level of wealth but a sort of um, vindictive, cruel, win-lose father who um, scolded any sort of empathy for others and, you know, praised sort of almost cruelty and stuff and racism and sexism. So you grow up a kind of very sheltered life, ultra-affluent life, and then this sort of vindictiveness that sort of preached to you. I mean, how, how would I have turned out? I don't know, you know. I mean, he, he is a product of environment and stuff, and I think, and just 
not to, it's not really to excuse him, it's just to sort of enabling him, as our country did, was just a, a bad thing to do. You know, he, that guy should have got some help a long time ago. Um, you know, he's just a, a dangerous person. So, I'm just, I'm just hoping that there's some way that the, you know, the, the 35, 40 percent or so of the country voting that's sticking with them right now. That there's, there's some kind of information that comes out that start that kind of some kind of snap that wakes them up somehow, make makes them at least able to some kind of intrigue about learning the reality about Donald Trump because there's been some kind of blockage something has been preventing them from understanding the full story I mean why was I able to <coughs> understand what Trump was and kind of even if I wasn't completely able to put my finger on it to kind of know that he was bad as like a nine or ten year old and I wasn't perfect but I knew like okay no he's bad he's not a good person he's not someone to be like and it was pretty obvious even as like a kid and it just became more clear as I got older why are there so many people that don't know that what happened there what what so what what did they just you know what sea of information that they just completely skip over and if they were able to see have that presented to them in the right way they'd be like oh oops no or, or whatever but just there's got to be because I mean he, the guy's been around for a long long time and he's also done plenty while president that's extremely extremely destructive uh, you know and it's just not <laughs> it's not what you want in any kind of leader let alone the president so hopefully, you know, those conservative working class folk who hate the Democrats, hopefully they go libertarian or some other option in 2020 here. So we don't have to do another four years of Trump because I don't think our country could take it. It's going to, that, that might be the breaking point. It's, a, you know, it's no laughing matter. It's, it's, Donald Trump is destruction. He is oppression. He is fascism. He is authoritarianism. He is also a man in clear and obvious cognitive decline. And um, not that he was ever that sharp to begin with. So it's, you know, he, he can't be president another second term. We have to find a way in the system, whatever, to make sure that he, he just, that people don't vote for him, you know. Who they vote for instead? Whoever. But just gotta make sure not to vote him. Alright, in the meantime, make sure to wear your mask in public. Practice social distancing. Make sure you're registered to vote if you haven't already. Alright, this is Gary. Listen to Thinking Out Loud.